Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. All right, Hope, how are we doing? We good? Nice. Good. Hey, uh, you might not know me. My name is Ben. I'm a pastor out in Colorado. Um, I'm also, uh, okay, Colorado, nice. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan and friend of Hope. I've had the honor of getting to teach here a couple times. I'm pumped to be back here. Um, but I'm not going to do like a big introduction about who I am because I already did that. Um, I'd love to meet you. If I haven't met you, come say hi to me after this. Um, but I'm pumped to be here. Uh, I'm actually, we're going to jump immediately in tonight because I have a lot I want to say and I have a short <laughs> amount of time to do it. So we're just going to get started, okay? If you've been here for a couple weeks, you know we're in the middle of this series called This Is Our God. Okay, what we're doing in this series is to kind of kick off the new year, we're hitting pause, we're taking a break to just look and see who God is, who, who is he, like what are his characteristics, what does he care about, how does he interact with his people? And it's important to do that because the truth is that like if you or I, if we have a distorted or cheap view of God, even if it's unintentional, the result is going to be that we have a cheap and distorted view and version of our own life. That's just the way it works. Okay, I love the Tozer quote that Chase shared on the first week of the series. In case you forgot, it goes like this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's just true. And so it would just be wise of us to every now and then, that's what we're doing in this series, just hit pause and make sure that the way we're thinking about God lines up with the kind of God that we encounter in the Bible. Okay, so two weeks ago, Chase talked about how God is great, meaning he's sovereign, he's got things under control. Last week, he talked about how God is gracious, and today, we're going to talk about how God is glorious. Okay, if you're anything like me, glorious is not a word you use very often, right? Like, I don't, I don't, actually, I don't know if I've ever described anything as glorious, if I'm being honest. Maybe a sunrise. I feel like sunrises could deserve that word, but it's not a word I'm going to just bust out all the time. You know, I'm not going to be a firehouse subs going like, this ham sandwich is glorious. It's like, it's too big of a word for that, right? There's something about the word that just feels powerful, like it's reserved for special occasions. And oddly enough, whenever we call God gracious, that's kind of what we're doing. We're attributing something powerful and special to God. Let me explain. So when we say that God is glorious, what we mean is that he's filled with his own glory, Okay, what that means is that God is always filled to the brim with his own infinite beauty and power and love and grace and mercy and perfection. Like when we say God is glorious, it means that you might have a bad day and me too. We can have days where we kind of feel off, but God never has that. God always feels like himself. He's always 100% himself exploding with his greatness and his glory. That's what it means. And so, in other words, like whenever we say that God is glorious, it's almost the same as simply saying, like, God is just God. Like, period. God is always like 100% God. He's glorious, He's filled with His glory. Whenever we truly grasp, like, if you truly grasp and understand His power and His glory, the natural response is worship. 
okay? Not just singing songs like we just did, but like, it could include that, but like worship in its purest sense, like adoration and devotion and reverence. And when you grasp his, his glory, sometimes in the Bible, this is called the fear of God, okay? It doesn't mean you're scared of him. It just means that you, you're trembling in awe at the power of him. Similar to like when, I don't know how I feel when I watch like a good thunderstorm or like if you go out to the coast and you stare at the Atlantic Ocean, you just have a minute where you just are in awe of the power of something. That's what the fear of God is. Clay, who leads the teaching team here at Hope, he thinks of the the fear of God as trembling trust. And I love that. You trust in God because you're trembling in front of his power and his glory. Okay, so on the one hand, if you grasp his power and glory, one response is worship, the fear of God. On the other hand, if you don't fully grasp his glory, or if it's just not like in your line of sight today, then the natural response is just fear. Okay, not trembling trust, but just plain old fear, like anxiety and stress and worry. And that's because whenever we're not looking at the power of God, usually what happens is we end up getting fixated on the power of everything else in our lives. Okay, you start trembling before the power of other people, for example. You, you worry, you fear what they might think about you, and you start living your life accordingly. Right? You start curating your social media so that it looks like you have a perfect life, or you start keeping secrets from your friends and spouses to keep face, or, or you become a people pleaser until you don't even really know who you are anymore. You're trembling at the power of other people, or maybe we're trembling at the power of money. I would just think about it all the time. Like, where, how are we going to get more of it? And are we going to have enough of it this month? Or maybe we're trembling at the power of sex, right? And so we're in a toxic relationship. We know it's no good for us, but we're terrified of being lonely or being undesirable. I don't know what that thing is for you. I don't know what keeps you up at night. I'm not your Holy Spirit. I just know that if you're anything like me, you probably sense fear and anxiety more often than you sense a trembling trust in the glory and power of God. We just, we have a lot to worry about. And so what do we do about that? How, how are we supposed to face and then maybe even conquer the things that bring us fear? That's what I wanna talk about today. To do that, we're gonna look at two different moments from the life of a man named Moses. These are moments when Moses' own fear and anxiety collided with the glory of God. Okay, um, if you have your Bibles or your app and you wanna get a head start, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter three. It's like just the first book is Genesis, the next one's Exodus. Just go to the beginning. Um, Before we read the story together though, some background on Moses, okay? I I absolutely love Moses. I think he's maybe like my favorite person in the Old Testament. I identify with Moses a lot. And that might sound cocky to some of us. You're like, this dude thinks he's like Moses. It's like, well, that might be because we have the wrong picture of Moses in our head. Because a lot of times we picture like, we saw the movie, the old movie, you know? So we picture like Charlton Heston, you know? This like tall, strong, handsome, like perfect beard. And he's a determined leader and he's focused and confident. And it's like, that's just not the Moses that you find in the Bible, And so before we get to our story, let me give you some background on Moses' life before this moment that we're going to look at in like three minutes. Okay, Moses is born as an Israelite in Egypt during a time when the Israelites are enslaved by the Egyptians. 
He's also born during a time when the Israelites are making tons of babies and is freaking Pharaoh out. And so he makes a command, an edict that says Israelites now have to drown their newborn baby boys in the river whenever they have them. That's what he's born into. Moses' mom can't do it. She hides him in a basket, puts the basket in the reeds by the Nile River. She walks away. She thinks he's going to starve to death, but at least I don't have to see it happen. He doesn't starve to death. What happens is Pharaoh's daughter comes out to go to the river. She sees a baby boy in the basket. She has compassion for him. She adopts him. And so now Moses is like the adopted grandchild of Pharaoh. And for 40 years, he lives that way. He lives like a literal prince. He's a prince. Until one day, he's out for a stroll. He sees an Egyptian beating up an Israelite. Something snaps inside of Moses. Don't know what, he just gets angry. He just identifies with his people, empathizes or whatever. Something snaps. He attacks the Egyptian and he murders him. Okay, this makes grandpa, Pharaoh, very, very mad. Okay, so now Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. Moses flees Egypt. He goes way out to the middle of nowhere, a wilderness called Midian. He meets a lady, he gets married, and he settles down as a shepherd. And that becomes Moses' life for another 40 years. That's where we're picking up today. Like, this is the life that Moses has had. You don't need a degree in psychology to understand that this can really screw a person up. It's the kind of life he had, right? Like, a couple things that jumped to my mind. Like, if it were me, here's what I'd be going through. Like, you have to think that this dude had an identity complex, right? Like, he, he lived as a prince in the house of his people's oppressor. That's, that's a lot to try to work out in your own head. He also had nobody. He's a lonely person, right? He doesn't have Egyptian friends anymore. He's never had Israelite friends. They probably hated him. Right? He's the one who made it out while their baby boys are at the bottom of the river. And now he's on the run. He's terrified. So you got this guy. He's scared and he's confused and he's lonely. And now he's out in the middle of nowhere with nothing better to do than feel sorry for himself. And he spends 40 years making a living out of fear and hiding. And I know that that sounds familiar to some of us. That's Moses. And we're going to pick it up now because this is the guy this scared, insecure, lonely, confused guy, this Moses is the one that God decides to speak to out of a burning bush. Here's what happens. So one day Moses is out doing whatever shepherds do, hanging out with their sheep. I don't know a lot about shepherds. Um, so he's out there doing shepherd stuff. He comes across a bush in the distance. It's on fire. He stares at it for a little bit. He realizes even though it's on fire, it's not being consumed. It's still like lush and green under it. And so Moses does what literally 100% of the men in this room would do. He looks at it and he's like, I, I want to go closer to the fire. So he does. Um, he gets closer to the fire and then God speaks from it. Okay, and God tells him, he's like, I've heard the Israelites. I'm concerned with their suffering. I want to set them free from slavery. I want to give them their own land. And here's the kicker, Moses. I'm going to do all of it through you. Like he was just, Moses was just handpicked by God himself to play one of the most important roles in the history of the Israelites. And Moses hears all this and his response is definitely not trembling trust. His response is straight up fear. He's terrified. So look at this. We're picking up now in Exodus 3, verse 11. God tells Moses, you're the man for the job. Moses responds by saying this. Moses said to God, who am I? 
right? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses basically goes like, you've got the wrong guy, okay? Like, I am not cut out for this job. You've got the wrong guy. And I love God's response because he doesn't placate Moses like we would do. He doesn't soothe Moses. You know, he doesn't go, oh, Moses, come on, stop being so hard on yourself. You're amazing. He doesn't do that. Instead, Moses says, who am I to do something like this? And God responds by saying, I will be with you. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Egypt? And God responds by basically saying like, Moses, who you are isn't as important as who I am. And I am going with you. I will be enough for you. I like to think that that alone would be enough to quell my fears, enough to quell your fears. It's not for Moses. He's like a professionally anxious person. And so he keeps fighting with God. His next question is honestly a very gutsy question to ask the God of the universe. Look at this. Moses fires back at God. He goes, okay, so suppose I do what you say, okay? Suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And then suppose they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And in case we missed it, here's what just happened. God tells Moses, I will go with you. And Moses responds by basically going, cool, great. You're gonna go with me? Nice. Who are you? I don't even know your name, is what he says to God. And God's response to this is, I don't know, I think it's one of the more wonderful, mysterious, powerful verses in the Bible. Moses goes, who are you? What's your name? God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what you're supposed to go say to the Israelites. You go say, I am has sent me to you. And then God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, okay? The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, Lord, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And I love this so much and I wanna explain it to you, but we have to be word nerds for like just a quick minute, okay? Like, I won't stay here long, so just hang with me, okay? Moses asks God, what's your name? God responds with a name that can be translated, I am who I am. And then God says to Moses that for the rest of history, starting at that moment up to like us in this room today, he goes, for the rest of history, his people can call him the Lord. And that name, Lord, in Hebrew is Yahweh, okay? And Yahweh is the third person form of the Hebrew verb for I am. Hang with me. It means, in other words, the name Lord translates as he is who he is. What all of this means, I love this so much. It's okay if you don't, but I love it. What it means is when God speaks for himself, he uses a name that goes, I am who I am. And then he tells us to call him Lord, a name which means he is who he is. Anytime we say Lord, we are agreeing with God's description of himself. When we say Lord, we're saying he is Like he truly is who he says he is. He truly will do what he said he would do. He is who he is. God is God. He's glorious. It's powerful stuff. Again, it doesn't fill Moses with any confidence. And to kind of summarize what happens next, Moses just keeps battling and arguing with them. God had promised Moses success. And Moses, next question, he's like, yeah, but what if it doesn't turn out that way? In other words, like, what if you're not telling me the truth right now? 
God graciously gives him some miraculous signs to prove his words. Moses follows that. He's grasping for straws for excuses at this point. He goes, yeah, I'm just not a good public speaker, God, is what he says. Like, I trip on my words all the time. God replies, which is pretty hilarious. You should read it later. He's like, dude, I made your mouth. I know, I know what I'm working with, okay? I will equip you. And then finally, Moses quits bargaining, he quits bartering, and he cuts to the chase, the thing he's been driving at the whole time. And in desperation, he cries out, Lord, please just send someone else to do it. Like, I just don't want to do this, period. Go pick someone else. Exodus says that God burned in his own anger. And then like a good dad, he takes a breath. He doesn't act on his anger. He gives Moses a helper, his brother, Aaron. And at this point, finally, Moses, exhausted, terrified, having a first conversation with God, and it was an argument that he lost, he finally just puts his sandals back on and he walks to Egypt. The end. Okay, time out. Right, like this is maybe my favorite story in all of the Old Testament. I'm so thankful that this brutally honest account is in our Bible because it makes me feel less alone because I feel like Moses most of the time. Okay, I've got these things that I have fear around. I'm worried about them. I'm concerned about them. And I'm not standing in trembling trust in the power and glory of God. Pastors are supposed to tell you that, but I'm not. I'm just standing in fear. And I have the same two fears that Moses had. Because all of Moses' questions and concerns, they can really get boiled down to two main fears. Two main fears I'm assuming you and I are gonna be really familiar with. First fear goes like this. I'm not enough, right? Moses goes like, who am I that you would pick me to go to Egypt? He goes, what if I'm not equipped for this? That all boils down to I'm not enough. How often do we live in that fear? I'm not enough. I'm just not, I'm not capable. I can't face what I'm about to face. I'm just not equipped to handle this, like to handle this change to my career or this drama in my family or this trauma that's starting to pop up from my past. And I'm not enough for these kids and for this wife and for this cancer diagnosis. Like I'm just not enough. God's response to that fear is the same response he had to Moses. He goes, I am enough and I will go with you. I'm not gonna leave you out there on your own. I'm going with you. I'll go with you into your home and into your families and into your job and into that hospital and into that counselor's office. I'm not gonna abandon you. I will go with you and I am enough. It's the first fear, I'm not enough. The second fear that I think all other fears boil down to is this, God's not enough. Right, the other two questions Moses asks, like, well, who are you? What's your name? And what if you're not telling me the truth? They just boil down to God's not enough. And again, pastors aren't supposed to say this, but I can relate to that, okay? I, I have that fear. I, honestly, like sometimes I'm like, what if he's good, but not as powerful as I thought? And so he can't help me. Right? Or, or what if he's powerful, but he's not as good as I thought, so he won't help me? Or what if he's too busy, like dealing with way more important people than me, and so I kind of go under the radar and I get forgotten? Like, what if God's not enough? And again, God's response to that fear is the same response to Moses, and his response is, technically speaking, glorious. We fear that God's not enough, and God responds by saying, I am absolutely who I am. 
I am who I am. I am always filled to the brim with my power and my beauty and my glory. I am certainly enough. Our two biggest fears in life, I'm not enough and God's not enough. They, the, the, God's response to the, both of those fears is embodied in his name, Yahweh, the Lord. He is who he says he is. He is enough and he will go with you. Okay, time in. We, we talked about one story from Moses' life where his fear collided with the glory of God. His fear got the best of him. Now I just want to briefly talk about a different moment from Moses' life. This is in Exodus chapter 14. Okay, you fast forward from, from the burning bush. Moses goes to Egypt. Through Moses, God performs all these signs and wonders that compel Pharaoh to release the Israelites. Like everything to a T turned out exactly like God said it would, would turn out. So Moses, he leads the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt, but then just a couple of weeks later, you, you pause, and they're, right now they're on the shores of the Red Sea, and they're absolutely stuck. Okay, by this point, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's furious. He's murderous. He wants revenge, and so the entirety of the Egyptian army is bearing down on the Israelites. Okay, they've got a murderous army at their back, and they've got an impassable ocean in front of them. They are stuck. And everything about this situation would be playing into Moses' two fears. I'm not enough, God's not enough. Right, he's stuck. If Moses doesn't think of something quick or if God doesn't do something quick, then maybe God wasn't telling the truth. Maybe he's not who he said he is. Maybe he doesn't do what he says that he'll do. And then to make matters worse, the Israelites, justifiably, they're terrified, but they're taking it out on Moses. And so they're looking at Moses going like, dude, What's the plan here, right? Like, why'd you even bring us out here? It would be better to be slaves in Egypt than to die by the sword out here in the desert. And so essentially, Moses is right back where he started. He is on the run. He's terrified. He's confused. He's lonely. He has nobody again. Just like 40 years ago, the Egyptians want to kill him again, and the Israelites hate him again. But... In the midst of this like totally hopeless situation, Moses has one of just a very few moments of trembling trust in his God. And so rather than passing the buck or blaming God for his situation or chewing out the Israelites, instead, Moses looks at the Israelites and he says this. He says, do not be afraid and stand firm, and you're gonna see today the deliverance the Lord is gonna bring you. And the Egyptians who are pouring over that hill right now, the Egyptians you see today, you're never going to see them again because the Lord is gonna fight for you. You need only to be still. That's one of the more powerful statements of trust in all of the Bible. And so Moses says this to the Israelites and then God whispers in Moses' ear and he goes, okay, it's time to get a move on. I want you to go right down to that water. I want you to raise your arms because I'm gonna do something glorious through you. And so Moses, remember, erase, not Charlton Heston, right? Moses, scared, insecure, lonely, small Moses. He steps forward and he puts his toes in the waters of the Red Sea and it all comes down to this moment. He has a choice to make. He can choose fear and hiding like he always does or for just once, he could just stand toe to toe with this impassable ocean, stand toe to toe with this impossible problem and he could just trust that God is who he says he is and he will do what he said he will do. And in this moment, Moses chooses trembling trust. 
He raises his arms, raises his staff, and he witnesses something that no one has ever seen then and no one has ever seen since. The glory of God splits an ocean in half, and he and the Israelites walk through on dry ground. And when they get to the other side, they turn around and watch as this ocean collapses back in on, their, on the Egyptian enemies. And it says in Exodus that they stand on that shore, and when the Israelites saw the great power, the glory of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people then feared the Lord and put their trembling trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Now, what does this have to do with us living in in 2023? Well, I have a question for you. What are the things that you fear? Actually think about it right now. What's like the number one thing that brings fear to your life or worry or concern? And be honest with yourself. Just my two cents, it's not even worth coming to church if you're not willing to at least be honest with yourself in your own head. You don't have to tell anyone, just be honest with yourself. What are you afraid of? This is the layoffs at at your business or the growing dysfunction in your marriage that you're not sure how to handle or maybe it's big like you're scared of the state of the world right now or maybe it's personal like the addiction that you can't seem to beat. Like what is it for you? Actually think about it right now. And then realize there's really just two possible responses to that fear. The first one is run from your fears. Right? Just like Moses typically did, just like I typically do, just like you typically do, right? I'm not enough, God's not enough, so run, right? Try, try your best to convince yourself that your damaged relationships are gonna heal on their own and try to keep track of all the different lies you've told and try your best to like ignore them by escaping into your phone or Netflix or whatever. But here's the truth, running from what you're scared of hasn't worked. It's never worked for me, it's never worked for you. Our fears have this nasty way of keeping pace with us whenever we start running. And it's like wherever we go, there we are, right? So I can change my scenery and I can try to dive into my hobbies or into my job, but my fears go with me. But that's the first response. You could try it. I mean, you could just keep trying it. Maybe you'll be the first person that that ever works out for. Okay, that's your first option. Run from your fears or just like Moses at the shore of the Red Sea, you could just show up and ask God to glorify himself. What do I mean by that? I mean, instead of running or escaping from what you're scared of, you could just go toe-to-toe with it, toe-to-toe with that impassable ocean, that impossible problem in your life. You could just go toe-to-toe with it and then ask the great I am to glorify himself through the things that bring you fear. Because here's something to consider. Okay, I believe it. You don't have to. I'm just asking you to consider this right now. Like if the thing that you fear the most, here's something to consider. Isn't it possible? Like what if God allowed that thing into your life, not because he likes to see you scared, but instead because he wants to glorify himself through it so that you can trust him more? Like, what if he wants to display his great glory and power by one day, maybe weeks from now, maybe years from now, but one day splitting that thing you fear in half and walking you through on dry ground so that one day you can be on the other side of the thing and look back and watch that ocean collapse in on the thing that used to bring you so much fear, the thing that used to enslave you. What I'm saying is like, what if God knows he's enough? But he just also knows that you don't know that yet, and he wants to prove it to you. Isn't that at least possible? I believe it's possible. So a couple of challenges, and then I'll pray we'll get out of here. 
Okay, first challenge is to stop running from the things you fear. Just show up and ask God to glorify himself like we just talked about. Just show up. What does that mean? Just, dude, go have the conversation you need to have with your wife tonight. You've put it off for a long time. Go do it, right? Or go call that son that you haven't talked to in five years. Or go schedule that counseling appointment, right? Just do what you know you need to do, but you've been putting it off. Show up. Then the second challenge is going to be the thing that makes the first challenge possible. It's this. Remember the name of the one who goes with you. Here's what I mean by that. For me, like I tend to have a healthier perspective of the things I fear as soon as I have an accurate perspective of the God who's going to help me deal with them. Right? Who's the one that goes with me? He's the great I am. He's the one who goes with you. Uh, he's the God of my fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses himself. He's the, the God of my dad, Daniel. He's the God of my grandfathers, Jack and David. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one who has forgiven and adopted me. Like, he's the great I am. He's been glorified from generation to generation since the beginning of existence. That's who goes with me into this stuff. That's who goes with you. How could you possibly face the things that you fear? Like only if you know the name of the one who goes with you. He is the great I am. He is glorious, filled to the brim with his own power and glory. We can trust him because he's gone before the ones who have gone before us. We can trust him because on a day in history, in a place that just still exists in this world, he sent his son Jesus to die for us just to prove that like there, he can absolutely resurrect the dead parts of your life too. Just, just to prove that there's no fear he can't conquer. There's no ocean that he can't split in half, not even the vast, dark ocean of death itself. And I know that for some of us, it sounds absolutely impossible that God could heal like the deepest, darkest pain and fears in our lives. But since the beginning of time, God has been doing absolutely impossible things through absolutely average people like you, like me, like Moses. He's not planning on stopping now. And so whenever we ask God, who's gonna walk through this thing I fear with me? His answer is, I am. And whenever we ask ourselves, who's gonna walk through this fear of mine with me? We say, the Lord, he is. And so here's how I wanna end. Everybody stand up. If you're comfortable, close your eyes. Last chance, actually think about that thing that brings you fear right now. The, the number one thing that keeps you up in the middle of the night. Okay, for me, Allie and I, we switched up the way that I approach my job and we're terrified of how we're gonna pay the bills every single month. That's me being honest with you, that's mine. What's yours? Okay, hold that fear in your mind. And then as I, as I wrap up and, and pray, if you wanna stop running from that fear and escaping that fear, if you wanna just show up and put your toes in the water and ask God to glorify himself through it, then just as a small symbol of trust, Sometime during my prayer or whenever, just take one small step forward to imagine yourself putting your toes in that ocean that he's gonna split in half. Because we're sitting here, we're going, I don't know if I'm enough to face this fear. Well, the Lord is, he is, he is enough. He is going with you. Well, but I, I'm not equipped for this. The Lord is, he is, he is equipped for this. He will go with you. And if we're really honest, some of us are going, yeah, but like, what if God lets me down? He won't. 
He is the Lord. He is who he says he is. He will do what he promised he would do. And he did not knit you together in your mother's womb and number the hairs on your head and walk step by step through life with you so he could abandon you on this shore. That's just not the God that we worship. And so with some ancient, ancient words of encouragement, my prayer over us tonight is do not be afraid. Stand firm. And one day you're gonna see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you and it's gonna be the Lord who fights for you. You, you just only need to be still. You just need to show up and ask the great I am to glorify himself. God, give us courage. Um, give us courage to be honest with ourselves. Eventually give us courage to be honest with other people. And God, give us humility to eventually look at this thing that we've been trying to manage or we've been trying to control or we've been trying to escape. Give us the humility to just finally look at you and put our toes in the water and say, can you please deal with this? Can you please split this in half? God, we've got some stuff in our lives that just brings so much fear. And it's like the only way we're gonna walk through it is if it's gonna be on dry ground because of you. God, we want that. We wanna be on the other side of this thing. We wanna trust you more. God, so please teach us that you're glorious. God, give us the courage we need. Give us the humility we need. Help us to do the thing that we, we've been putting off. But God, ultimately, I just thank you for who you are. And this is what we've been learning throughout this series because you're just, you're great. You're sovereign and you're in control and you're gracious. You really did forgive us for the things that we think are unforgivable. And also you are glorious, filled to the brim with your own power and you will go with us. God, thank you for being the great I am. I pray this in your son, Jesus' name, amen.